0: Welcome to Deep South Dining, and Carol is away this morning. So, joining me in the broadcast booth is the merchant, Joe Sherman. Welcome, Joe. Good morning,
1: Lebanon. Good to see you, Malcolm. Good to see you, Java. Uh, happy to be here. I was. Uh, it was a great uh, pleasure and honor to be asked to co-host the show with you this morning.
0: Well, you and Carol have worked side by side before uh, at Viking. Yes. Range Corporation. And uh, she had to be away. So we thought, let's bring in Joe and we'll talk about Lebanese food. All right. Particularly in the Mississippi Delta, but in general. So Carol and I usually start the show by talking about what we ate over the week, weekend, maybe some observations we made on cooking and coping. And I'll start. And then Joe, you can fall in behind me. So yesterday, my wife fixed a magnificent dish of poached sea bass in a tomato reduction sauce and then served it with a soft, ooey-gooey polenta (laughs) and a wilted spinach dish. It was magnificent. And I posted it on Cooking and Coping, if anybody wants to go look at it. Wow. What did you do? What did you eat? I know you and Mary Pryor eat well.
1: We do. We, as a matter of fact, we ate so much and so fast we didn't even take a picture of it. But anyway, so <laughs> um, we started off. Uh, I made. Um, we had rack of lamb. Uh, that's a tradition from her family from the old, from the leg of lamb. But you can hardly find a whole leg of lamb anymore. So uh, we moved to the uh, grilled French lamb chops. Uh, we had ham. Uh, We had my mother's, we call it Mama Ruby's Rice, because my mother's name was Ruby, and it's actually a Lebanese rice, the way Lebanese cook their rice. We had uh, raw kibbe, uh, and we had a wonderful potato casserole, and we had Kentucky Wonders. We mixed every uh, area of the the Mississippi in one meal at Easter.
0: (laughs) Now, for our listeners, what is a Kentucky Wonder?
1: Kentucky Wonder is a string, like a string bean, uh, 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 a bean. It's, uh, they, I got them at uh, Doris Berry's in Pearl, oh, only great. place I could find them, yes. Mary Pryor's mother made them all the time, and they're phenomenal, phenomenal. So,
0: so Mary Pryor, I'm asking, is Mary Pryor also of Lebanese descent or not? Uh, no, she is not. She okay. Is not.
1: She's, only Joe Sherman. Uh, only, only me, only me. Okay. I'm 100%, so, you know. I I get a little bit for all of us.
0: (laughs) So before we dive into a sort of a general overview conversation about Lebanese food and what we know of it here in the the Deep South and particularly in Mississippi and even more so in the Mississippi Delta, I wanted to tell you a little tidbit that I'm sure you don't know. I moved to Jackson in 1979 to work for a man named Joey Mitchell. And Joey Mitchell was Lebanese, and he came to Jackson – from Alexandria, Louisiana, oh. and grew up in a grocery store deli uh, in Alexandria, and his father ran the store, and Joey grew up in that world, <clears throat> and he came to Jackson to work at Oliver's Restaurant in Highland Village, and I worked with Joey Mitchell for many, many years. He, After Oliver's, uh, he opened up George Street Grocery, made a huge success there. He and I partnered and we opened Walker's Drive-In, prior to what we know it as today, two uh, Tuminella's in Vicksburg, the Old Depot in Port Gibson, wow. and, then, and then we had Oliver's and George Street. So I worked for years uh, with a Lebanese um, uh, person who, who while we did not serve Lebanese dishes uh, on the menu he and I cooked them every weekend because that's what we did on Saturdays and Sundays.
1: Well, you're, you're you're into the culture then. You're into the heritage for sure. Wow,
0: that's great. So let's today we intend to take a good look at Lebanese culture here in Mississippi and especially, of course, through <clears throat> the lens of food. Joe, tell us a little bit about your family and, and your grandfather's uh, immigration here to the U.S. And okay, to so
1: so as I said, I'm 100% Lebanese. Uh, my mother's, uh, my, uh, maternal grandmother, she came through, uh, Ellis Island to the United States. My grandfather on uh, my mom's side, he came through Mexico. He tried to get through Ellis Island, but he was sick. So he tried coming through Mexico and because he was very small in stature and he was dark complected, they thought he was Mexican. So they let him in. There was no problem. On my father's side, my, uh, my father, my grandfather came in through New Orleans, and my grandmother came in through Ellis Island, and they, you know, both both my grandfather was a merchant. Uh, my my dad had five brothers and a sister. My mother had six sisters and a brother. Hundred percent Lebanese, and uh, my my grandfather was a peddler. I mean, almost all lebanese or uh, or some form of a merchant you know whether it's a store owner or a salesman or a peddler he started out as a peddler and he would sell white goods in the mississippi delta you know pillowcases sheets blankets and things like that right. and so one day the kids got together and they said they called him papa they said papa said instead of you pulling that wagon why don't you buy a horse and he looked at him as straight faces as he could be and said Who's going to eat? You or the horse? So he didn't have a horse, and he just kept pulling the wagon until he could afford a horse. So eventually, he went on and set up, a, uh, opened up a grocery store. Uh, and then almost three of Dad's brothers, including himself, all owned grocery stores. And we grew up working in the grocery store selling Jack's cookies uh, and uh, and penny box of matches and cigarettes, two for a dime. Wow. That's how I grew
0: up. So, uh, it is said that we can trace the earliest uh, immigrants uh, to Mississippi, Lebanese immigrants, uh, through the port of New Orleans, which you said is how your family came. That's right. That's right. And, and go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to ask you if you knew the story of the earlier immigrants.
1: Well, the, the story that I think Jimmy has written about was the fact that I think the earliest one came in, in 1884. And uh, he came through New Orleans, and when he he knew there were other immigrants on there that were of Syrian or Lebanese descent, and the way that he... Tried to figure out whether there were any on there. He came off the ship and he started yelling kibbe kibbe kibbe, which is the national you know the the national food of Lebanon. And if anybody knew what he was talking about, he knew he had a friend. So uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, you know, I guess you know that's that's just the way it worked. It was a great. It was like a secret code of so
0: Yeah, Yeah It's uh, kind of like it's kind of like the old Robert Johnson song. Hot tamales and red hots. There you go. You know, and, and he would call out, and people who knew what he was talking about would, would come and, and get the tamales from the tamale man. That's right. That's right. So speaking of kibi kibi kibby, why don't you explain to us uh, what is the national <laughs> dish? What, what is kibi, right? Tell us about it. All right.
1: So uh, in Lebanon, the terrain was such they could not uh, raise cattle, so they raised sheep, Okay. So they use they use as a lot they use lamb for their, their protein. So it's over here we use eye uh, round. So it's eye round uh, with all the fat trimmed off, ground twice. And for every pound of meat, you add a cup of wheat. The wheat is uh, soaked in water, and then you add about a small onion. It's pulverized to it's almost water, and you mix it together. And some people, and I hope they'll talk about it today, add different spices. In the majority of the Delta, we just use salt, pepper, onion, wheat, and meat. And you mix it together, and you can either fry it, bake it, or eat it raw. And raw is the preference at the Sherman household. So that's the national food of, of, of Lebanon,
0: and everybody knows what it is. Right. And while I didn't know much about it until I went to work for Joey Mitchell, uh, again, this is one of the dishes that we would get in the kitchen uh, at Oliver's or George Street and make on the weekends. Uh, He also loved to make cabbage rolls, uh, grape leaves, and tabbouleh. Yes. uh, Other dishes that people who may not be uh, fully immersed into the Lebanese tradition will recognize.
1: So, you know, almost every uh, major holiday or major event, our, our 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 lunches our, our dinners consisted of raw kibbe, baked kibbe, grape leaves, cabbage rolls, tabbouleh, and meat pies. And the meat pie is uh, like a, a ground round and onions, uh, browned in a skillet, mixed with a little uh, laban as we call it, but it's it's a uh, yogurt, and put in a, a little circle. And then fold it up in a triangle and bake, and it's delicious. Kind of like spinach pies, but it's it's uh it's uh we call it a meat pie. It's very good, very good.
0: All right, we've got a caller on the line, and we are really happy to uh, have Chef Alec Alec Eaton with us. Uh, Joe, Joe, you know this fella. Yeah, I do. Uh, go ahead and introduce him. This
1: is. Uh... Young man, I, think, I believe he hails from Canton, Mississippi, and has two wonderful restaurants here in Jackson, Aplos and Manship. And Alex, welcome to the program.
2: Uh thanks for having me, guys. Can you hear me?
1: Yes. Loud All and right. clear, buddy. How you doing? Oh
2: yeah. Oh man, I'm over here hungry now after listening to Joe's uh, <laughs> uh meal. I uh we do we do, do uh Easter at my house, but I'm usually running from a restaurant with uh, you know, uh, stuff I played up at the restaurants running home. So uh, we did not have Lebanese food yesterday, unfortunately. Well, let me tell
0: you what we had for Easter uh, Sunday meal at my house. We had to-go from Aplos. Oh, And nice. uh, we, we had both grandkids, my wife and her husband, and my wife and uh, my daughter, her husband. And we had a big gathering out on our front porch, and we enjoyed your great food uh, from Aplos.
2: Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a, a, a huge success, and we we couldn't have done it without uh, the support from our community. It's been outstanding.
1: Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about your you know uh, your how you learned your how you uh, got your culinary skills? I think uh, was your grandmother a big influence on your cooking and what you do and how you do today? Uh,
2: yes, sir. Uh, just like you, uh, my my family, uh, the Francis. Side, which is my uh, mom's mom, so she's a Francis. They came through New Orleans and uh, ended up settling in White Castle. Uh, they were they were merchants as well. Uh, they did a, he kind of had his hands on a lot of stuff: sandwich shops, real estate. Uh, very successful uh, family. Uh, and then my mom's dad was an I-U-P-E, which we believe was a misspelling. Uh, because there's no P's in Arabic and we believe they were Ayub, A Y O U B, but they just uh wrote their name Ayub uh when they got here uh via uh New Orleans. they um,
1: Americanized it. My name's supposed to be Shamoon. So my yeah. my grandfather said I'm Deeb Shamoon and all of a sudden he was Dave Sherman so the rest is good.
2: <laughs> Yeah. So, so a little bit of, little bit of mix up there, but my my, my Memories as a little kid were always uh, of the kitchen and just kind of realizing that things were a little different at my house than maybe at some of my friends' house. Because uh, there was always tons of parsley all over the kitchen and you know, <laughs> fresh tomatoes and tabbouleh and grape leaves. Uh, we did the meat grape leaves. But, um, you know, it's it's crazy when a, bu- when a bunch of Lebanese end up in South Louisiana, uh, that Cajun influence and Creole influence on the Lebanese. Uh, cooks, and then I guess the Lebanese cooks had a lot of influence on the uh, South Louisiana uh, scene because, you know, Louisiana is just a melting pot. Um, but I just always remembered, you know, seeing all the cooking from hand and the, the grape leaves rolling and, uh, you know, p- the parsley just stuck with me for a lifetime. That's why we put curly parsley all over everything, uh, manship for sure. Um, but, you know, so Alex, it, you've and been
1: it, to Lebanon, what, a couple of times?
2: Just one time, I—I'll uh, okay. tell you. So I was—I was doing so much Lebanese stuff on my manship men, menu that it was kind of throwing people for a loop. They loved it. They just were wondering, is, is someone here Lebanese? And you know, <laughs> so I—I've I, I, always, you know, cared so much about that side of my family and culture. And my grandfather would pick me up every day from school, and uh, it just got to a point where I was like, I need to just open up a, a, a Lebanese restaurant to kind of get my fix. Um, and, and I didn't want to open one without ever being there, uh, you know, because you you try your family's grape leaves, but I had to go there to to check and see if they tasted the same or if if the you <laughs> know how the hum- how the hummus was compared to over there and how the so I, I went over there and uh, it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, it, it, I, I highly recommend it. Maybe not right now, but recommend if you love you know your Lebanese heritage to get over there and check it out. Right, right. So, uh,
0: Alex, you, you spoke a little bit about the influences um, at Manship. T- talk about specific influences at Manship that come from your Lebanese heritage and also at Aplos, which we we all call a Greek restaurant. But I guess it's far more extensive than that.
2: Uh, yes, sir. So, you know, well, first off. All cooking is about, you know, passion and caring, and and that's kind of what separates a good restaurant from a great restaurant. And uh, you know, that's really how we kind of showed each other that we loved each other in that in that culture. And it's a lot like that with this it, most cultures, really. Uh, everything was kind of around the the table, and you know, you the, you came over to 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 sh- be with your family, but you ended up sitting there cooking and helping each other. Uh, But just that slow cooking uh, of building flavors with, you know, lots of onions and garlic and fresh tomatoes and parsley and herbs and rices and then slow cooking them with, you know, nice chicken stocks and tomato products uh, really carries over to, you know, what you call Cajun cuisine and and just what I like to call slow cooked foods where you, you know, you're building flavors starting from that that base (laughs) of fat, onion, garlic. and that's really uh, kind of my style of cooking. Um, you know, we like to build everything and kind of get our sauces to where they're already really good and then just kind of combine them um, because you can't really do some of this slow cook stuff, uh, a la minute, as we call it, uh, on the fly, uh, on a restaurant side. But, um, you know, it carried over. I took up one of those 23andMe or uh, Ancestry.com and I I realized that I thought this whole time I was half Lebanese, but really I had Italian, Greek, and Lebanese, uh, wow. mostly Lebanese. And it had an orange, big orange dot on Beirut. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just decided that that's kind of the, the, the way I wanted Apples to be, and I wanted to do some, you know, shawarmas, which is why I went to Lebanon was to study shawarma. Um, shawarma sandwiches, pitas, uh, hummus, uh, you know, and then we'll do Italian pizzas and Greek uh greek items so it's kind of just my background in one little restaurant and then there's of course some burgers and wings which is my southern part so So, alex
0: we often are asked on this show by listeners and sometimes also on our website uh, cooking and coping people will ask questions like what is building layers of flavors and you've spoken about it very eloquently, but how would you describe building layers of flavors t- to our listeners?
2: It's just kind of when you mentally get ready to uh, make a recipe, and you and you know, like Joe said, we use a lot of cinnamon and allspice, but just building it and adding things at the appropriate time so that uh, everything comes out as. Close to perfect as possible because if you if you just throw everything into the pot, then the onions and the garlic might not cook down right, and the rice might be mushy by the end of it. So, right now in my mind, I'm thinking of uh, specifically uh, grape leaf. So, what you would do in a meat stuffed grape leaf is you would you would want to uh, you would want to start with browning your meat. And then uh, once you browned your meat and some of the fat came out, you, you would strain off the meat and save a little bit of fat. So now we're building. We're going to add some onion and some and garlic uh, and tomato and cook that down. And then uh, that's when we would add our spices, cinnamon, allspice. Uh, you know, some people use seven spice and other things, but we, we always use cinnamon and allspice and kind of toast that uh, together. And then you, you know, add your rice back in and and toast it. And then, uh, we would roll the grape leaves at that point and, uh, layer them into a dish, put some lemon juice and some chicken stock in it and then slow cook it until the rice was perfect. Um, so that's just one, one small recipe where you're building flavors. But, uh, if you look at, At a gumbo, it's the same thing. You start with the roux, you add the uh, onions and, you know, the trinity right before it uh, burns to cool off your roux. And then you start with your stocks and your seafood or chicken or whatever you're adding, and then you finish it with the seasoning. So it's just that step-by-step process where you're kind of really thinking about each ingredient and trying to make it come out as perfect as possible.
0: That's great. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to explain that. As I said, we often get questions here on the show and also on our cooking and coping site. Joe, talk a little bit about how your your cooking technique. You're a home cook, where, whereas Alex, uh, chef Alex, <laughs> is a professional. You know, commercial uh, chef. Well,
1: when we, you know, as Alex said, you know, a lot of things happen around the kitchen in a Lebanese household, and that's where I learned uh, how to cook Lebanese food from my mom, uh, and you know everybody does it a little different. Like Alex said, they use allspice and cinnamon. We didn't use any allspice and cinnamon, but, but mother would make the she. We used the meat, rice, and tomato stuffing in a lot of lot of dishes, whether it be cabbage rolls, stuffed bell pepper, stuffed squash, and slow cook them. Uh, in its own stock, as it as it as it started to uh, simmer, and let it cook until the either the bell pepper or the squash started to become soft. So uh, we learned how to do that. We learned how to, how to how to how to make the kibbe from just you know really observation. And the best way to know if it's ready or not is to taste it as you're making it, which is probably the most fun. So and I learned from my grandmother used to make it. She used to make fresh kibbe, uh, and while she was making the kibbe, she would make. Uh, lebanese bread and it wasn't pita it wasn't bread. as a matter of fact i have a piece nobody can see it but it's paper thin
0: well java and i can see it and it, I, and it looks like parchment paper it's almost like parchment
1: paper and a story about it is when i would bring people home from college to come have uh to spend the weekend and have dinner with us my mother would always put this in their plate well Without fail, every person I ever brought put it in their lap because they thought it was a napkin. So we had to tell them, "No, take it's not a napkin. It's really bread." And so my grandmother would make that fresh, come out of the oven. You'd wrap raw kibbe in it, and I'm gonna tell you something. You would think you died and gone to Lebanon? It was unbelievable. It was really, really good. So
0: now, yeah. why did she put it in their plate? Was it was it like an appetizer or was it a s- symbolism? It was, it, for, it was yeah. just a symbol. That's just the way
1: she did it. It's the same reason that whenever we make raw kibbe. Uh, someone in the family always, I call it a karate chop, vertical and horizontal and make a cross and pour olive oil in it. And that's the way that we kind of bless the family and put our blessing on the day and on the meal. So now we grew up doing that. And yesterday when we made it, my grandchildren made the crosses. Now, when two of them make a cross, you end up with a big cavity. But other than that, it was was really good. (laughs)
0: Well, Joe, we are blessed uh, to have you today on the show. We're also really blessed uh, to have Alex yes. to join us, uh, chef and business partner of Aplos and the Manship Restaurant here in Jackson. And you guys also have a party space, right, Alex?
2: Uh, yes, sir. We have the the Rick House, uh, which has been a little bit vacant here lately, but um, things are starting to kick back off again. It's uh, it's right on the other side of Manship. It's uh, We do a lot of uh, – Rotary clubs, rehearsal dinners, uh, meetings. It's a it's a it's a nice facility right across from Keepers. It's a bunch of Greeks and Lebanese over there.
0: <laughs>
2: Party time! Y'all got the yep.
0: Mediterranean uh, Avenue set up over there.
2: <laughs> yes, sir.
0: Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Alex. We'll get thanks, you on sometime uh, and and have you talk more about your uh, background, your restaurants, and maybe we'll even catch up on post or the beginning of post-COVID-19. Thanks again, Alex Eaton, for joining us. Uh,
2: yes, sir. To Thank you listener. for having me.
0: Thank you. <laughs> if you've not eaten at the Manship um, or uh, at Aplos, do yourself a favor and check that out. We're going to take a break right now, Joe, and when we come back, we will continue to talk about the influences of Lebanese cooking in the Mississippi Delta, specifically. We'll talk about restaurants, uh, like the Rest Haven, Shamoon's Rest Haven and Abe's Barbecue. And we'll also be joined when we come back uh, by Jimmy Thomas, who's a historian uh, and a chronicler uh, of Lebanese uh, food in the Mississippi Delta. He's a professor at the University of Mississippi. So we're going to continue this conversation. If you want to join us, all you got to do uh, is dial uh, our, our toll-free number, one eight seven seven and Joe Sherman and I will be right back after this break to continue talking about Lebanese food and Lebanese traditions uh, in the great state of Mississippi.
3: On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
0: Back to Deep South Dining, where we are happy to go to the crossroads, Mississippi Delta. Today we have Joe Sherman pinch hitting for <laughs> Welcome, Joe.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you very much.
0: hey Joe, where do you and Mary Pryor live? We live on about three
1: streets south of Jackson Academy off Ridgewood Road in Northside oh, in Drive. I tell you what, Malcolm, we live right around the corner where Michael Rubenstein used to live.
0: Oh, yeah, man, I know that neighborhood well.
1: That's where we are. And
0: my brother, you know, my brother and Ann live right down the street as well. But anyway, we're glad you're here. I know that you grew up in the Delta, though, right? Yes, yeah, Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, Greenville. It was a great, great place to grow up.
1: I was laughing because, you know, uh, growing up in... The Mississippi Delta and growing up in Greenville and going to the uh, Catholic school, high school, I mean, school, I had 39 people in my graduating class and nine of them were Lebanese. So I thought
0: everybody was Lebanese almost, you know. Wow. So, that's yeah. that's, that's, yeah. So that's it, was, it was very interesting. Very interesting. Well, man, we appreciate you coming on today and uh, co-hosting for Carol, Carol's Away. Uh, Today, we're talking a lot about Lebanese food, Lebanese culture, Lebanese influences on our cuisine here in Mississippi and, of course, across the American South. But we've got an expert. Why don't you introduce our special guest? Great.
1: I'd like to introduce Mr. Jimmy Thomas. Jimmy's done a great job of creating a short history of the Lebanese immigration into our state. It's called the Lebanese in Mississippi and oral history and Jim welcome uh from Oxford Mississippi. come on in
4: hey Joe hey Malcolm. thanks for having me this morning good to good to talk to you, yeah, we're so glad you could join us. How's everything up north? Oh it's beautiful, beautiful day today. It was a beautiful Easter weekend. Um, yeah, everything is wonderful. uh made some grape leaves as a matter of fact this past weekend um as we usually do for holidays so you know we were celebrating uh Lebanese food as well as Easter this past weekend
0: so Jimmy you grew up in a Lebanese family is that right and where did you grow up
4: I did um grew up in Leland and Greenville I actually went to the same high school as Joe um (laughs) uh, his his family um so, yeah, the Thomas He's a lot family, younger, by the way. <laughs> a little bit. Just a whole bit. <laughs> I'm not sure how much, but a little bit. But yeah, my Thomas family came to Greenville from um, a little town in Lebanon called Bhishmazin, uh back in the late 1800s. Um, half Part of the family did, uh, the Thomas saw it, Uh And um, as a matter of fact, we're on. Uh, lived in the same neighborhood as, uh, as Joe's family. Um, when they first got there, they were part of uh, lived downtown you know, on Nelson Street. As part of uh, <laughs> uh, where every you know all the Lebanese families had dry goods stores and grocery stores. And um, I think after the twenty seven flood, a lot of folks relocated. But yeah, that's where we all started out. We may have had stores next to each other, the Thomases and the Shermans. That's true. So and, of course,
0: for our listeners who aren't familiar uh, with Nelson Street, that, that's where Doe's E-Place uh, is today. And it was the African-American uh, and, and, I guess, immigrant uh, business district. That's where a lot of the hot tamale stands uh, and, and were, were set up. It's where a lot of blues music was, was, was sort of nurtured. It's a very historic street uh, in Greenville. And, of course, uh, Leland is just right next door also steeped uh, very deeply in in both blues uh, and and immigrant culture. So before we uh, deep dive off into your work, Jimmy, we got a caller on the phone. Uh, Floyd is calling in from Clarksdale, and he just ate lunch at the Rest Haven. Hello, Floyd.
5: It was was actually breakfast uh, at the Rest Haven. Uh, (laughs) I'm the editor at the local newspaper, and so they've got a little coffee club down there. You know the deal. Uh, Go down there
0: oh Did we lose you, Floyd? Well, you call back uh, when you get a chance. And I'm going to tell you, you were about to describe something that I had the great pleasure of, uh, of documenting, and that's that, that big round table there uh, where Shafiq Shamoon would gather with his friends, and all the local gossip and all the farm news and all the news about the town was discussed, right there at this gigantic round table uh, at the Rest Haven with uh, with Shafiq and his friends. So, uh, Florida, are you back with us?
5: Hey, I am. Sorry for the disconnect.
0: No problem. No problem. Go ahead. You were telling us about your breakfast at the Rest Haven.
5: Uh, it is. Uh, typical most small towns. Uh, you've got your coffee club down there. I do work for the newspaper, so that's where I go to get my news uh, <laughs> and uh, sort of see what's going on. Anyway, I uh, uh, moved to Clarksdale. Uh, the kibby, the uh, Cabbage Rolls, uh, of course, uh, uh, it's great stuff to carry uh, uh, family down there. I grew up in Mississippi, but to carry family there and, and experience another culture. it's uh, It's a great place to go. Paula and them Really work hard. Uh, uh, They've uh, they've suffered, of course, because of the pandemic, but they've tried to stay open. And uh, uh, it's just a really uh, keen place to go in uh, in Clarksdale and experience Clarksdale culture. Uh, Abe's is too.
0: Yeah, yeah. The two great Lebanese restaurants uh, that we're going to touch base. on today, Abe's in Clarksdale and, of course, the Rest Haven, Shamoon's Rest Haven, also in Clarksdale. Well, Floyd, thanks so much for listening to our show and particularly for taking the time to call in and add your little flair about how a newspaper man gets the scoop at the breakfast table at the Rest Haven. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon.
5: Come to Clarksdale, and I'll buy you lunch. All right. It's a deal,
0: and we'll we'll go to Rest Haven, uh, or maybe we'll go for brunch uh, at Abe's, and then we'll have lunch um, at uh, at the Rest Haven. So, anyway, the Rest Haven is a magnificent uh, uh, demonstration of, of of the melding of cultures. You go there, and you can get the Lebanese plate uh, that that Floyd just described, or you can get just a good old turkey dressing uh, and and, and black eyed peas uh, with with a side of cranberry sauce. Um, and a piece of pie with meringue as tall as Joe Sherman's hair, <laughs> and probably as <is> white. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so Jimmy, uh, tell us a little bit about your project uh, that you've been working on your oral histories uh, project.
4: Well, uh, I started this project back around uh, 2000, mid 2000s. As a matter of fact, I had gone down. Um, and well, it was a oral history project. It's really I started looking um, for a master. I was looking at doing a master's thesis for the Southern Studies program up here where I work at the Center for the Study of Southern Culture at Ole Miss, and um, I thought, you know, there's there's so much that hadn't been written on the Lebanese in Mississippi that I wanted to I wanted to know myself, but I thought it needed to be documented. Got so many folks who are just part of that first first uh born Mississippi uh generation that are sadly passing on and I wanted to talk to these guys before before that happened. So um I started the soil history project and Shafiq Shamoon was one of the first people I actually interviewed, as well as um uh Pat Davis at Abe's and so um That has grown into something that has been a much broader oral history project that I've got online. It's www.thelebaneseinmississippi.com. And And, um, we get to hear those voices of people telling these stories about how important uh, getting together with their families um, and having these big Lebanese meals together, um, how, how important that was to them and to keeping that culture alive. Was, you know, I was talking to somebody, who was it? I think it was Mike Thomas up here in uh, Oxford, who's originally from Greenville, too. And we were talking about how we can see this Lebanese culture alive in Mississippi today. And really, the the most visible way you can see the, the, the Lebanese in this state is through that food. is things that we keep making. Um, you know, y'all are talking about grape leaves and kiwi and cabbage rolls. And that's how most people connect with what we, with who we, with who we are. Um, they go to their friend's house and open the refrigerator, and there's a pan of kibby, and they know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. That, yeah. you know? <laughs> and you know, you that's can really funny. test a friendship by finding out if they will eat it raw. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <that's> just, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I mean, guess. I went into I went into uh, Rest Haven just last week and saw Paula. I said, "Hey Paula, do you have any raw kibby for me?" And she said, "Yes." So I said, "I want that, and I want a kibby sandwich too." Mm.
0: Uh,
4: so, so Jimmy, uh,
0: I, I guess an analogy for people who may not be as familiar with raw kibby as you and Joe, or it, it, I guess it's kind of like steak tartar, right?
4: Yeah, pretty much. With you know the way I make it, and I think the way Paula makes it at Rust Haven, I think most people in the Delta, um, it's got cracked wheat, a bulgur wheat um, that's been soaked in water and then squeeze the water out of it, and combine that with freshly ground very lean um, beef with uh, some chopped onions and salt, pepper, and cinnamon, and it is delightful. It is really wonderful. And you can do all kinds of things with it if, you know, when it's fresh, you eat it raw um, and then you can bake it or you can fry it. Um, and it's really kind of the center. It's the it's the anchor of any Lebanese meal. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, now, Joe, the yeah. kibbeh sandwich, th- that part of, that's cooked, right? Yes. Yes.
1: But, so you, that, you can are you eat it? About the baked kibbe, Jimmy, or are you talking about a true kibby sandwich?
4: Well, I'm talking about the one that I got at Rest Haven. Now, um, how does she those make it? Are, yeah, she she uh, she cooks the kiwi first.
0: Right. <clears throat> does she bake it, fry it? How does she prepare it? I can't remember. I actually, you know, spent some time uh, in Shimoon's doing that little documentary uh, I did. I called kibby the cornbread, which is my way <laughs> yeah. of talking about melding the southern cuisine with the Italian immigrant cuisine. But I don't remember how she prepared the kibby
4: meat. I think that the kiwi she uses in the uh, the sandwich is fried kibby. I think right. she takes okay. those kibby balls, the um, yeah, the fried kibby balls, and then she kind of mashes them up a little bit. Yeah. And puts them she in. In the bread, yeah, she, she the mashes library. them out like
1: like a like patty, like a hamburger or patty.
0: Yeah, yeah. Our yeah. meat has yeah. got wheat and onion in it and right. cinnamon, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, so Joe, uh, this is a question from you and Jimmy. Uh, this this in between place feeling uh, in the Southern culture. Talk a little bit about that being somewhere between here and there, and where you fit in growing up and as adults. Wow. Well, I think,
1: as I said earlier, so when I look at when I look at growing up Lebanese in the Mississippi Delta, I think, like I said before, out of 39 kids in my class, uh, nine of them were Lebanese. Within three blocks of my house, there were 12 Lebanese families within three blocks of my house. I had 20 cousins. So I was immersed in the Lebanese subculture from from kindergarten through graduation. So, you know, it was, it was just, you know, where I really found, realized that there was a cultural difference is when I went to college. And a lot of people didn't know what Lebanese, who Lebanese were, what Lebanese food was like. And I think that was a big intrigue uh, to what we did and how we lived. And that's why when people came home, and we're welcomed to our family. It was all centered around the food, as Jimmy would say. It was all centered around the kibbeh, the grape leaves, and the cabbage rolls and the tabbouleh. And so that the food united us, and and, and you know, people know you for that, and that's how you're kind of known. And I think it's a, it's something we're very lucky to have and hold on to. And as long as we can keep going from generation to generation and carrying it on, I think that. Uh, it, it will continue to be extremely important in how we, we, we live.
0: And Jimmy, would you also add to this notion of the in-between place in Southern culture and also how the Lebanese uh, attempted or were successful in assimilating into the local communities, uh, I guess in the Delta mostly, because that's sort of the area where most of them were.
4: Yeah, um, yeah, it's true. Uh when the Lebanese first came here, um, you know, they came to this kind of biracial place, the Mississippi Delta. They came up from through New Orleans into Vicksburg, and uh, and then came up the river peddling. You know, they started out as peddlers, um, and that's so they when they would pedal their wares. It was very, you know, still, of course, very rural back then, in the beginning of the 20th century. Um, they would pedal the farmhouses. Because people found it much easier to buy from a peddler uh, than to spend the whole day going into town. So, uh, to these Lebanese, peddlers would peddle to blacks and to whites um, back then, and they were really kind of bridging this real divide uh, in in ways that other people weren't. So, uh, you know, these peddlers were visiting the homes of blacks and of whites and were somewhere in between, you know, they were considered neither black nor white. Um and uh so yeah, so they were really you know, making a connection between these two separate at the time, you know, uh races. Um and so eventually, you know, uh, the Lebanese were able to make enough money and um uh, they stopped settling and then formed their own communities and towns, um, like we were talking about on Nelson Street and so forth. Uh, but yeah, it was you know, and they weren't alone doing that. Um, the Italians, okay. Jews, mm-hmm. Chinese had grocery stores in uh, in uh, small towns across Mississippi. Um, so yeah, this it, it, it isn't. An, absolutely unique to the Lebanese experience, um, but it certainly is an ethnic story in what we would ordinarily consider a biracial uh, culture.
1: So, yeah. Um, you could go down the street or around the blocks. My dad had a grocery store, and three blocks away, there'd be an Italian gro- an Italian that owned a grocery store or an Asian that owned a grocery store. I never figured it out till later Is that the customers we, that we served didn't have transportation except walking, so these were basically the first convenience stores because they were convenient to those those that lived around the store. Uh, so it was very very it was a great. My dad was dad. My dad had a grocery store, and he was kind of a marketer himself, and he bought some uh, billfolds one time that he put on a uh, a little stand at the at the cash register, and they were a dollar each. And after about three weeks, he hadn't sold the first one. So one day he put a $5 bill in each one of them and t- said they were $6 and he sold out. So, yeah, he's hit. <laughs> you know,
5: so he was marketing. That's, smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: where you get your genius <laughs> from. Yeah, go. I don't
5: know about that.
0: <laughs> so, Jimmy, uh, mm-hmm. I read somewhere that one of the points you were making about race and and that, you know, the, the Mississippi Delta, Mississippi in general, was primarily the, the black and white races always struggling to, to figure out how to coexist. And then there was this sort of third uh, leg of the stool, which were the immigrants who were somewhere in the middle. And and as I recall reading back during the, the civil rights era, when things were so tense, that uh, many of these immigrant Businesses were, were about, and restaurants primarily were about the only place that blacks were allowed uh, to, to to do business. So that uh, that these immigrants were welcoming to all, and were were serving both black and white, while many restaurants were, of course, segregated.
4: True. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I was talking to someone down in Vicksburg, and you know, in the 1930s, uh, she said that her grandfather. And this wasn't their restaurant she they were eating in the restaurant, but her grandfather was a young man and um he ate in the in the black section and you know he was just talking about it very matter of fact like it wasn't something that he felt there was a problem with um in the sense that you know uh he didn't mind eating there it was really it was very uh it' was interesting in that uh yeah these immigrant groups were welcoming to everybody um because mm-hmm. that wasn't part of the culture where they were coming from you know i mean there was there were these issues surrounded uh you know in race back then uh and their own culture, so it was a very foreign to them. this wasn't something that they grew up with and thought that was the way life worked um They just thought oh well, this is this is America. This is uh this is where I live now and I just didn't understand that this you know, this Jim Crow South, the customs of the Jim Crow South. And so yeah, uh they their uh restaurants and dry good stores and grocery stores catered to everybody. You know, um you know, and I heard again and again not only from my family but from other people in the soil history, that the Lebanese really um offered uh fair credit. So, you know, um when if a black family were to come into their store and need credit, well, that credit line that was fine. And uh, you know, there weren't these exorbitant interest mm. rates. Um you know, it was hey, yeah, come back pay me when you can, I want to keep your business and so forth. So yeah, um yeah, I had heard that story a lot where uh yeah, people were just treated more more fairly in right. these uh in these Lebanese stores than they would have been in in most white owned restaurants.
0: All right, we've got a caller. Uh, Mary is calling from Madison on the phone. She wants to talk about Lebanese food. Hello, Mary. How are you?
3: I'm great. How are you?
0: Great. Thanks for calling. What's up?
3: All
4: right,
0: we got a caller. Got a Mary is calling from Madison. Hello, Mary. Turn your radio down or off. Ah. Turn your radio off and talk to us.
3: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. It's a weird okay. phenomenon. And okay. radio. You have the radio on. We okay.
3: So, what's going on, Mary? I'm Mary. I'm actually Joe's cousin, and I'm a good <laughs> friend of Jimmy's. So, I'm <laughs> part of the gang. It's
5: the all body. in the family.
3: Okay, all right. Family. Yes, I just wanted to add a, a few comments. Um, we are, some of us in our family, we're, we're kind of laughing uh, because there's a lot of discussion about the health benefits of the Mediterranean diet. And uh it's not anything new to us because the emphasis on vegetables and grains and tons and tons of olive oil is what we grew up eating. So it's just kinda of like a family secret that we we were born into and so we take pride in that. We used to think that our the food was, you know, a little old fashioned, but now we see that it's almost become <laughs> a fad another comment I want to make is that I live in Madison which is you know near Jackson and um, the the road Cedars of Lebanon is named because there is a Lebanese clubhouse on the street and the, the clubhouse is for the Southern Federation uh, of Lebanese Syrian and Lebanese people so it has become one of the ways that our culture has tried to maintain the close bonds and the traditions. And so this is an a almost national club. It's mainly in the southeast. But we have conventions and gatherings, and Jackson is lucky to have its own clubhouse. And it was actually built with labor by the Civilian Conservation Corps. So that's oh. remarkable to me that the Lebanese in this community gained the through their hard work and their their kindness that Jimmy has talked about and their w- welcoming attitude that they were able to get the government to help them build their own clubhouse.
0: That is cool, Mary. That is really wonderful. And I always wondered why Joe still looks 25. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. explained it in your first comment. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's My your glasses.
3: People <laughs> praised her. She said she bathed in olive oil. <laughs> That's right. right. (laughs) Well,
0: well, my mother-in-law's family are Armenian, and she always cooks Mediterranean style, and she's always talking about the Mediterranean diet. So I get it. Well, Mary, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. I also want to thank Jimmy Thomas from the University of Mississippi for his great work, his oral history work, and his preservation of the Lebanese traditions in mississippi jimmy thanks a lot
4: thank you all i really appreciate you having me on today
0: thank you Jimmy. absolutely and joe i can't thank you enough for co-hosting today for sitting in for carol while she's off gallivanting around the globe uh thank you so much my friend i enjoyed it i enjoyed it and thank you all for having me well you brought a lot to the conversation and look we always appreciate what you post on cooking and coping we always appreciate when you call into the show and did you catch uh, Jimmy's website? Uh, I wanted to, before we get off the air, I think it was www, the Lebanese it's In Mississippi. The
1: Lebanese in Mississippi. Yeah, a, I, yeah the Lebanese in Mississippi. That's okay. It. Check
0: it out if you get a chance. Yeah, we're going to throw some links on the uh, podcast, uh, Malcolm, so everybody can do a deeper dive if they like. Great. Thank you, Java. Java's always on the case. Well, thanks a lot, Joe. And we will Thank talk y'all. you all. Have a good all day. Did a great job. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners just like you. Our show is marvelously produced by Java Chapman. Today, my co host, Joe Sherman, the merchant, I thank you, as well as Jimmy Thomas. I'm Malcolm White. Stay tuned now for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remini at 11. And please join us next Monday for more deep south dining heard only on MPB Think Radio. Eat.